is a very good afternoon. It is Niall Boylan with your right suit. Well, certainly for the next 90 minutes or so. Anyway, we've got a nice show for you today. We're getting some updates on Philip Schofield. Mind you, Philip may be not making the wisest of moves, putting out a statement against his detractors. And Eamon Holmes, as predicted, has come back and he said, you're fighting with the wrong man. Ah, Eamon says he was lied to by Philip Schofield. Now Holly Willoughby, of course, her career in jeopardy too, because many people were saying, well, did she know about it? But she says, no, she was lied to as well. So everybody was deceived by Philip. Philip looks like his career is on the downward spiral. Will Holly survive this? And how will Eamon Holmes fare out? Also today, I want to talk about gender confusion. And are we confusing children? Or are we exposing them to too much gender confusion? Well, one man who's spoken extensively about it is Ollie London, who is a campaigner himself, by the way, who detransitioned. And he joins me on the line. Ollie, good afternoon to you. Great to see you today, Niall. Thanks for having me. Lovely to see you too. And as I said, I'm loving your background there. It's looking very bright <laughs> and very wonderful. All right. And, I, and by the way, I know you're enjoying your bank holiday in the United Kingdom today. We don't have the bank holiday here till next week, but I'm, I hope you're enjoying it. We've taken some of your time with the bank holiday. Ollie, just to go back a little bit in time, firstly, your story, I suppose, is more important. So we have a better understanding of why you feel so passionately about what you're feeling at the moment. And I, and I follow you on Twitter and I've seen a lot of you the tweets, particularly into the branding at the moment and the brands that are supporting, you know, gender confusion. Um, Dylan Munvalli, by the way, and just breaking news coming in here. Now, I don't know whether you've read this yourself. And I don't know how true it is. But Benny Johnson is claiming on Twitter, Dylan Mulvaney now comes out as straight. He says, you've all been played by Miss Five O'Clock Shadow. And I predicted this about three months ago, that this guy is actually a comedian or something. And he's going to come out, I said, in a year's time and say, I played the whole lot of you. I made a fortune out of this. And do you reckon he's playing us? Um, absolutely. He is a comedian and an actor. The, the video you just referenced, actually, was from about, um, about eight months ago, where Dylan was basically saying he wants to maybe date women one day. So he's not sure in his sexuality. You know, everything Dylan does is to mock people for views and for, you know, uh, attention. And it works, Noel, because look how many brand deals he's had. Look how much uh, publicity he's had. So he's not serious. You know, he's claiming uh, he's, he's staying in five star hotels and making quite a substantial amount of money at the moment, isn't he? Particularly initially from Bud Light, who saw their share prices mm-hmm. go down. We'll come to all that in a second. But getting back to you, Ollie, for people who don't know you, um, you went through an awful lot. You went through 32 surgeries, you know, to change your whole look, your identification. So when did it all start for you? What age were you when you thought, you know, I want to look different. I feel different. I'm in the wrong body. I mean, what age were you? Well, I, you know, as a kid around five or six years old, I was always a little bit more feminine. So I would prefer to play with girls' toys. Um, I would like to dress up in kind of more girls' girls kind of clothing. I like the color pink. Um and then, you know, it's all very harmless. And then when I became a teenager, I was subjected to um, very severe bullying um, every single day at school, um, you know, based mostly based on the way I looked. So saying I looked ugly or I had a big nose. And um, a lot of them would tease me and say I look feminine. And when I would have swimming class, um, I used to have um, a condition called gynecomastia. So it's basically male, it's almost like male breasts. Um, so I used to get teased a lot by that being called a woman every day, being called girly. So that had an effect to me. So I developed initially body dysmorphia. So I really, uh, you know, when I looked in the mirror, I really hated my reflection. Was, um, was so that because, sorry, sorry for interrupting, but was that because you were being told by people that you look like a girl, that you started to get it into your own head? Well, maybe I am, or maybe there's a problem here. It, it, was that kind of getting into you? Well, I just never felt right. I just never felt like, you know, I was a normal boy. 
So, you know, when you have everyday people saying things to you, or oh, you're ugly, you should change the way you look. And, um, you know, you're like a girl, you're feminine. It definitely plays a huge uh, part. So then, yeah, when I became an adult, all of these things were kind of running through my mind. You know, maybe these people have been right my whole life. So I started having surgeries yeah. just to improve my aesthetic. And, and what, what sort of surgery? Through... What sort of surgery did you start with? What was the first thing you kind of went for your nose, was it? Yeah, so very innocent. I literally started with a nose. I wasn't planning to do anything else. And, you know, the nose surgery actually went wrong. So I had to get correctional surgery. And then it just became a snowball effect. And then, you know, I ended up having like 32 uh, procedures in total, um, you know, mm. over the course of 10 years. And and it wasn't just your gender you wanted to change because at the time you were a big fan of Korean pop music. But you also did something which was quite controversial at the time. You became transracial. So you you believed or you identified as a Korean woman, essentially. Also, I used to live in Korea and I loved the culture. I loved um, everything about it. And I was just like, you know, Niall, why not? Because all these other people were coming up with crazy identities. You can be non-binary. You can identify as two spirits. Some people identify as Native American. I was like, you know, what's the harm in, I just want to look a certain way. I love Korea. I live there. You know, what's the harm in that? So, um, you know, it's more just kind of, why not? You know, if everyone else can have a different identity, I mean, it's it's no different to someone wanting to change their gender because that also involves plastic surgery. So, you know, I thought at the time, what's the huge difference? Mm. And so you had 32 surgeries, you changed your whole look. You were claiming that, or well, identifying as a different race, essentially, or different nationality. You went as far as learning Korea. Mind you, you did live there for some time. And I actually heard you speaking Korean. You're quite convincing, actually. Um, <laughs> you would certainly pass off if you were on the phone or something like that. But what was the turning point? At what point did you say to yourself, there's something actually wrong. This is not real. I'm actually a young man from London. So what was the, where was the turning point for you where you realised this is just not right? What, what the hell am I up to? Well, to be honest, it took me about 10 years to realise that. So I basically mutilated myself. And then I got to a point where I was still very unhappy and all the questions of gender came back. So, you know, I actually had the facial feminization surgery to make my face feminine. Um, started living publicly as transgender. Um, <clears throat> then after living like that for a period of time, I got to a point where I was thinking, you know, I either have to continue this journey and do more extreme surgeries or, you know, I have to stop because I was, you know, I was causing so much harm to my family, to my friends and uh, you know, so much harm to myself. So I came to that realisation and um, I needed some kind of outlet to help me. So I started going to church. I also started going to therapy and that really changed my way of thinking. It made me think, you know, more positive about the world and that, you know, I should learn to accept myself for who I am. And when you say, you know, you were thinking of going further with the, the surgeries, and if it's not too personal a question, did you go as far as, you know, um, genitalia, because you talked about mutilating your body. Did you go as far as genitalia or was it all just facial? Well, I, it was all just facial, but I did actually book um, a consultation in Bangkok in Thailand for the transition surgery for the body. So I had actually booked that for last December. Um, mm. But, you know, thankfully I woke up uh, several months earlier. But yes, I was planning to do that. And I know it was a very risky surgery, although the doctors were saying, you know, oh, it's fine. We do this all the time. And, you know, with it, it's like Bangkok's like the capital of doing that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't too worried. But then, you know, um, when people were telling me, you know, this is going to ruin your life, I kind of woke up. 
And when you book, I'm just curious now, because when you book that surgery, and obviously that's to have either your penis removed or whatever it happens to be, when you book that surgery, does somebody actually sit down and talk to you and kind of go, are you sure about this? Or is it just a case of, yeah, no problem, we'll fit you in on Wednesday at four o'clock? Is it that simple? Or does somebody actually sit down with you and say, listen, do you have a letter from a doctor? You know, are you sure this is what you really want? Or do they just go ahead and do it? Well, they would, um, it depends on the country, to be honest. Some countries would, you have to have uh, consultations with doctors and psychologists. But, you know, I was uh, booked for Thailand, so they don't really have the same standards in Thailand. I did have multiple consultations with about four different doctors, um, you know, multiple Zoom calls. So they were very informative calls, but, you know, there was no like, oh, we need a letter mm. to prove that you're, um, you have gender dysphoria or anything like that. It was literally okay, come to Thailand, we'll do the consultation, and then if everything's good, we can set a date for the surgery. All right, so so here we are now, and you're at a point now where you look back at, uh, you know, the old Ollie, and you, you kind of think to yourself, what the hell was I thinking? And you've kind of completely swung, not the pendulum hasn't swung to the middle, it's swung to the other side. So you're now campaigning for what you say, to help other people not go down the road and make the mistake that you made. But I suppose they will argue, and you're probably seen as the enemy of the transgender community now, which you would have been your own enemy going back four or five years ago, essentially. You're the enemy of the transgender community. I mean, is there a case that sometimes the pendulum can swing too far back and, you know, genuine people who are comfortable enough in their skin, who want to be women, see you as some sort of demon? Well, yeah, they do like to call me a demon and other insults like that. But, you know, mm. the thing is, when you're in that transgender, you know, sometimes it's like a cult, to be honest, because a lot of the tactics cults use are the same of what these trans activists use. So when you're in that moment, when you're trans, you know, you don't look at the other perspectives. So, Niall, I didn't see what was going on. I didn't mm. see the harm of what these doctors are doing to children. I was just focused on my personal struggle because it really takes over your whole life. It's like it's constantly on your mind about your struggle, the way you feel yeah. and stuff. So you don't have time to think. So it wasn't until I came out of that space where I actually changed my way of thinking. And then I started to really research, okay, hang on a minute, what's going on? This is actually really harmful. And what are they doing to children? What are they doing to women's rights? So, you know, I really did a lot of research and I wrote my book, Gender Madness, um, you know, over the period of six months when I was doing that research. And um, it's you, really you changed, You've changed the title of the book. The, the book was originally detransitioning, if, if I remember rightly. And what made yeah. you change the title to Gender Madness? Um, so basically, a lot of people weren't familiar with the term detransition. So a lot mm. of people were confused what it actually meant. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my book was already written and myself, the publishers, my uh, agents and everything, we thought it was we needed to reflect better what was actually in the book. Because, okay. you know, detransition, uh, it doesn't even come up in many... Uh, it doesn't come up in spell documents. check, by the way. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And right. I'm correct. It comes up with a red line under it. Yeah, it's not even correct. a word. Yeah. I noticed yeah, that this so morning, that was, actually, when I was, was putting it up on Twitter this morning, it came up with a red line under it. I'm going to make sure yeah. I'm spelling that correctly. Okay, so Jenner Madness, <laughs> I, and we're looking up, and I know you, you've teamed up with um, Caitlin Jenner as well uh, in relation to this. She's a good friend of yours. You've met her on many occasions. And by the way, can I point out as well that you won an award over the weekend in Kansas. I saw a picture of you, by the way, standing on the red yeah, carpet with a nice it. background in front of you. Yes. What was the award for, okay. by the way? Um, so my award was at the um, Cannes Film Festival at the Weber Awards. It was basically for my social media advocacy. So basically using my uh, different platforms to highlight uh, children's related issues, women's rights and parental issues. So it was great. You know, Elon Musk's mum was there. She also won an award. So I was with her. So it was really prestigious to win this award and just to be recognized because, you know, it's hard now. Sometimes I get attacked every day from all these activists, but it's so nice to have this recognition. So, yeah, I'm very grateful.
Yeah, I know I, I know you do get attacked regularly. Even when I'm tagging you, I'm conscious of that. And I always say to myself, should I turn off the comments just in case it offends me? But I'm sure, like me, you're well used to being abused and attacked and you can ignore those as well. Does yeah. that get in, Does it get in on you a little, you know, when people have a go at you, you know, and particularly in the past where people might have been having a go at you over your appearance? Uh, does that still get in on you now or do you think you've grown a thick skin now? I mean, I have a really thick skin. I mean, I'm used to getting called names, you know, for many, many years and... It has got worse recently. You know, I've had some very extreme threats uh, made against me. But at the end of the day, you know, there's the other side of the pendulum is I was just in Cannes and I had every single, you know, every single minute women coming up to me, young women and saying, thank you for what you're doing. I had old women coming up to me and saying, we really appreciate you being a voice for us. So that makes it all worth it. So, you know, I block out all of the hate and just Mm -hmm. focus on the good and the fact that I'm actually giving people a voice. I'm actually helping these parents and these women. So that makes it all worth it. And how did you end up working now with one of the most famous trans women in the world, Caitlyn Jenner? How did you? How did that partnership happen? Um, so basically, Caitlyn Jenner launched uh, Fairness First Political Action Committee at the start of April. Um, and, you know, I'd always looked at Caitlyn as a champion for um, speaking up for uh, common sense, basically, you know, about protecting women's sports, about uh, protecting children and parental rights. Um, and, you know, we, her, her organisation, Fairness First, I really felt like these were the same topics that I had been working on for the past year. So we kind of merged um, together yeah. and, you know, I became spokesperson. She's a spokesperson, Fairness, Pack, Fairness First Pack. And it's just about working together because you can achieve a lot more when you're working together of with others. And, um, and of course, so, she gets you know, a lot of exposure as well. I don't know how many million followers she has on Twitter, but I'm sure it's a substantial amount, as you do, by the way. So I'm sure she gets it. She's a good platform, of course, to make this more international and worldwide. I suppose the big story during the year, which which launched not just you, but the, the campaign, I suppose, or brought it more into the spotlight, was the gentleman we just spoke about, or, well, claims to be a woman, Dylan Mulvaney. Now, Dylan Mulvaney is a, an unusual person. I think the transgender community would also like to probably distance them, themselves from him because, of course, he seems to mock transgenderism. He seems to mock women and mock everything. Absolutely. I do not get how trans people can look up to Dylan and think he's some kind of role model. He's probably the most harmful person for their community. You know, he mocks them. He mocks their experience. You know, he claims to be on hormones and he's clearly not because he's had no breast development over the period of eight years when he's been on hormones. Um, So, you know, he's just mocking them. He's mocking their experience. And, you know, there are genuine people out there that are born with gender dysphoria and they have to struggle day in and day out with this condition. So, no, it really is a parody of them. It's a mocking women. It's mocking everyone. And he calls himself a girl. And, you know, it's just very odd behavior. But we can see if we go back through Dylan's old videos, he was really desperate to try and do anything, you know, doing comedy sketches. He appeared on The Price is Right. You know, he appeared on The Ellen Show being this over-the-top camp guy. And you know, he's the exact same person now, just with longer hair. And um, I just don't understand why so many people are buying his act. I mean, the big break from, of course, was daytime television in America very recently with Drew Barrymore. That was his kid, kind of propelled him into, I suppose, stardom in the in the United States. And straight off the back of that, he was sponsored, or seemed to be anyway, by Bud Light. Now, Bud put out a statement, and not only that, somebody was thrown under the bus. Obviously, a marketing manager was thrown under the bus uh, because of what happened. But their share prices plummeted, uh, their product sales plummeted uh, because of their association with him. 
But that didn't stop that. It stopped them because then Tampon came along and they he became an ambassador for them. Uh, then, of course, now you have North Face, you have Target. We've just seen their share prices drop and their sales plummet because some of the stuff they're selling in their aisles for young children with, you know, clothes for four and five-year-olds that have, you know, I don't know, pockets to tuck away your genitalia in or uh, binding for young girls. I mean, seems to be completely over the top. So if these companies are seeing go woke, go broke, why are they doing it? Well, I mean, that's a great question because um, Bud Light lost around $6 billion worth of its market value um, and Target has lost $10 billion within 10 days based on the huge boycott in America. So you know, these companies are trying to weather the storm. They're trying to push through. Bud Light didn't apologize. Bud Light could have fixed that situation very easily. They could say, look, perhaps this wasn't the best brand ambassador for our brand. We're sorry for our consumers. We promised to do better. They wouldn't have lost the value. The customers would have been happy. But they're not doing that. Instead, they are standing firm and continuing to push this, uh, almost this propaganda. Because, you know, look, nobody had an issue with people, whoever they were, you know, identifying several years ago. But it's when you're starting to shove this in people's faces, when you have every single brand pushing this, when you have kids being targeted, that's the real issue that's upsetting people. Because it's actually setting back, you know, people that fought for gay, lesbian rights for, you know, the last 50 years. It's actually set them back decades because it's mm. actually uh, affecting their community a lot. So these companies, I don't know if they're going to wake up anytime soon. They're seeing all their money going down, but they're probably thinking, you know, if we just weather the storm for a few months, people will forget. But I don't think it's going away because Bud Light sales continue to drop. Target is losing so much money. I don't think the consumers are going to forgive these companies this time. I mean, the very idea that Tampon would align themselves with what, you know, I think at this stage most people know is still a man who is just pretending to identify as a woman is just bizarre. The latest, of course, that you mentioned yesterday on Twitter is Lego have brought out, you know, their Pride special with trans characters, I assume, in it as well. I mean, so you've got big brands like Lego, which is a world famous brand targeted specifically at children. So this is the point that I want to talk about today, and I do want people to call in, by the way, the number 085-100-2255. After Ollie is gone, we're going to chat to you as well. But the question we're asking is, are we exposing children to too much of this? And you take, for example, Florida, only recently, and many states in America now, have banned the, I suppose, gender ideology education in primary schools. Is that a good move? Or is that kind of anti-trans and anti-LGBT? Well, it's not anti-trans at all, because at the end of the day, it's about protecting kids. And, you know, Lego have released these sets. You've got a transgender garden where different gender identities are represented in the garden. I mean, that's just utter rubbish. How can a garden be transgender, firstly? But it's the fact that these companies and all of these uh, institutions are actively pushing this on kids. You have cartoons. You know, there was a Transformers cartoon talking about being non-binary and pronouns for a robot. I mean, it's really, it's it's a concerted push, you know, in all angles to attack children, to attack everything that's sacred. Um, and it's wrong because, again, you know, nobody had an issue five, ten years ago when people, if they identified or felt a certain way, that was okay as an adult. But this concerted push to indoctrinate children to try and make children confused. And children are very vulnerable because they're very perceptive to things around them. So if a teacher or an adult or a cartoon tells them it's cool to be non-binary or trans, they will go along with that. And it's not just a harmless trend, Niall, because if you're putting kids on hormones and puberty blockers, that is incredibly harmful. So this isn't just some fad, some trend. This is actually very dangerous to kids. 
I mean, the other thing as well is that we're, we're seeing a lot of in the United States is the idea that a teacher would change a child's pronoun or indeed their name uh, because the child wants them without actually telling the parents that something is up, that they feel no obligation to tell the parents. This is quite concerning too because we spoke to Billboard Chris about two weeks ago and his idea is, you know, if you tell a child often enough or if you agree and affirm a child often enough, you know, and they say to you at the age of five, well, I want to be a girl if they're a young boy and you affirm that often enough, they will eventually start to believe it and and this is being done without parents consent absolutely um i mean we even saw actually target was exposed for donating 2.1 million dollars to an lgbt organization which actually does this very thing so they actually encourage school districts to hide the gender identities of children from their parents so so target was involved in that but there's so many school districts in the u.s that are um, hiding the new identity and in some cases even transitioning the children and offering them rewards and praise for transitioning in the classroom and the parents literally have no idea. So that's really wrong because at the end of the day, whatever happens or however a child feels is between the parent and the child. So a teacher has no right to say to a child, oh, maybe you're non-binary, maybe you're struggling. They're not doctors, they're not psychologists, they're not parents, so they should not be involved in that conversation. So that's between a parent and a child. The other thing, of course, is sports. Uh, Riley Gaines has spoke out quite a lot about Leah Thomas uh, more recently. But I suppose a win-win would have been British Cycling because they announced over the weekend um, that they will no longer be allowing transgender women uh, to enter women's cycling in a, on a professional scale. Now, they could still enter the county championships or something like that, but they can't enter the national one. Um, this is seen as, as a win for your movement, but transgender people are saying now we're being discriminated against. Well, I think it's a, a huge win, to be honest, because so many women have been speaking out. Um, you had uh, Inga Thompson, a, a US cyclist, has been speaking out. Um, Riley Gaines has been speaking out as a swimmer. And, you know, women are just fed up of having their prizes taken away from them. And, you know, athletes have to train for their entire lives for this one moment, this one chance to succeed. And to have that taken away by someone that has a biological advantage is simply unfair. So, you know, um, there are people that say, you know, maybe have a transgender category. I think that would make people happy. But um, I think a lot of the trans uh, athletes don't want that because they want to be treated like women. So for them, that kind of goes against their narrative that, oh, they're being treated differently. Um, and I believe the with the British cycling decision, I believe they're allowing um, transgender people to play in an open men's category. So they'll be able to compete in an open category with men. So, you know, that, that's much fairer. But um, I'm sure they'll be complaining about that because they want to be treated as real women. I believe in some of the categories now in the United States they're going to have a non-binary category uh, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever because if you're non-binary well then surely you could just compete in whatever level or whatever category you happen to be on that particular day. But if, if you go back in time, you know, if the old Ollie had have heard this about you know the transgender people not being allowed or transgender women not being allowed to compete in professional cycling, what would the old Ollie have said? Because I suppose that gives you a level of understanding then about how transgender people think about this at the moment. And, and by the I'm not saying I disagree with it because I completely agree with it. I think it's completely unfair for young girls, you know, to work all their lives to compete against other girls and then have to compete against somebody who's six foot one uh, with a much bigger skeleton and much bigger uh, muscles, etc., etc. Generally speaking, not all the time, but generally speaking. So, what would the old Ali have said? Would he have fought well, back? Honest, it's hard, you know, because when you're in that, when you're feeling trans and when you're struggling with that, that's all you think about. So, you know, I, I was kind of kind of woke back then almost because I was indoctrinated. I was brainwashed into this cult um, mentality. 
So, you know, I would have probably thought, why why is this happening and stuff? I wouldn't have understood the complexity of the issue. It's mm -hmm. only after I've come out of that um, place and I've actually consulted with many different groups of people. You know, I speak with women every day, athletes. I also speak with trans people. And, you know, I speak with different people. So I've developed a good understanding. But before then, you know, I was so consumed by my identity and who I was that I wouldn't have even thought about the issue, to be honest. And in relation to religion, now you say religion plays a role because you've kind of, I, I, I would it be fair to say that you're, I suppose, a born-again Christian or, or what, what What do you consider yourself to be? Yeah, so a born-again Christian. I mean, I did go to a uh, primary school that was a Church of England school as a kid. So I, you mm. know, I have been to church before and stuff. So yeah, born-again Christian. Like, I just realized that I needed something in my life to help me navigate this difficult journey. And, you know, that was yeah. the amazing yeah. kind of saving grace. Okay, and of course that that helps you to, I suppose, settle everything in your own mind as well in relation to everything that went on in your life, and and leave that in the past to move forward. So, where do you see yourself now in in two or three years' time? Do you see yourself still in this fight? Do you think it'll go away? It's it almost seems like some sort of runaway train at the moment when we see the stories day after day, and you're highlighting them a lot of them on your own Twitter account. But we see them day after day: a story of this company who are backing it, that company are backing it, this drag queen done that, this drag queen did the other, which are drag queens. Uh, unfortunately, there are some good drag queens out there, but mainly them getting a very bad yeah. name for the way they're performing in front of children. Um, but this, we see the story constantly railroading. Can you see the train stopping at any stage or do you think it's going to get a lot worse? I mean, this is definitely the worst it's ever been. Like you said, we have day in, day out. There's different stories. There's really shocking things happening. But I always like to look at a positive outlook. So we've had uh, in the last year, 16 US states um, pass laws to ban these gender transition surgeries and hormones on children. Um, we've seen several states, uh, including Kansas, pass laws to enshrine women's rights protection. So I think there's a significant pushback. I mean, if you look at Target losing $10 billion in 10 days, there's a significant pushback from consumers. And that's a very powerful thing because we all have power as a consumer to make a purchasing decision. And that can really pressure these companies to do better and actually listen to the complaints and concerns of uh, consumers. So I think the pushback is really starting to happen. I think um, we're still going to see a lot of extreme stories until it gets better. But I think we're heading in the right direction. I, I talk about in my book, Gender Madness, I talk about how the tide is finally changing and how different states and even some European countries are now waking up and um, realizing that their advice, um, I believe Sweden um, has come, done some kind of a U-turn um, in saying that, you know, perhaps we were wrong about prescribing all these hormones to kids. The UK uh, changed its uh, decision. Oh, sorry, well, the NHS, the NHS has changed yeah. its advice online, suggesting that, you know, we don't know the outcomes of these. We don't know if there's serious side effects. We don't know if, there's a, if they're reversible. I mean, you, did you take hormones yourself when you were younger? No, I didn't. I, thank okay. goodness I didn't. But um, okay. because, you know, if you're on hormones, you're on it for life. I just went through surgery, which is, you know, still very extreme, but I'm glad I didn't yeah. do hormones. Oh, I'm glad you didn't as well, because a lot of people say it's irreversible. And, and I suppose that's the big conversation now. We had it during the week with a senator here on the, on the radio. We were talking about, you know, should we block puberty blockers? Ireland was the first country, by the way, to bring in a gender recognition mm -hmm. bill, which means you can self-identify at 18. Uh, but they're not happy with that. They want to change that now to under 18 as well. We've sent children wow. from Ireland over to Tavistock. Um, we all know what Tavistock is responsible for now at this stage. Children as young as five years of age have uh, been sent to Tavistock, which is just mind-blowing stuff. Um, the idea that a child can be taken off a parent if a parent won't affirm their new gender is just mind-blowing as well. But the big conversation now is puberty blockers. Should they be banned for people under the age of 18? 
Yeah, absolutely, because there's no reason to be putting kids on any kind of drugs. You know, it's it really changes their body completely. I mean, imagine that, you know, a kid is going through a difficult time where they're changing, their body is changing, and you're trying to stop all that and, uh, you know, stop all that happening. And it's that's a natural process of life, you know. That's how humans develop. So if you're stopping something in the developmental stage, that's going to cause significant problems. And we know there are you know, detransitioners that speak out. We know there are some studies where they say that, you know, long-term uh, effects from puberty blockers include bone bone growth issues which are effectively limiting you know that person's development and their growth so that can lead to bone development issues um arthritis um heart conditions and so many other things so you know, children do not should not be pumped onto harmful medications i mean the argument of course from parents is what do i do i mean i suppose if you were to advise, you know, a parent, you know, be it your own mother or father, going back in time, and you could give them some advice on the way Ollie was feeling at the time, I mean, what would you say to a parent now listening who might have a child who's 12 or 13 years of age, who believes they were born in the wrong body, who believes that the opposite gender or opposite sex, because I believe the two are intrinsically linked, and I think everybody logical would believe that. But what would you say to a parent who's in that situation? I mean, apart from support your child and help your child and listen to them, what would you say? it's really really tough because in my case I never told anyone about the way I was feeling so I actually bottled it all up and I think uh you know it's a really difficult thing to understand especially if you're young as a teenager you're already struggling with your way you look is changing going through puberty so it's a tough conversation to have but I think if parents can at least look out for signs that maybe their kid is is changing or maybe their behavior has changed since they've come back from school or, or or whatever you know look out for those signs and just speak to their child make sure they're okay um, just have that conversation. Always encourage open dialogue with your child because there's nothing worse than a child being at school and you know they have teachers or other people convincing them to transition and the parent has no idea. So it's about. Oh, but should a, but should a parent well. resist? Should a parent resist it if if you know Johnny comes home and he says I want to be called Mary and called a she from now on and and can you talk to the doctor? I heard from a friend that I can go on puberty blockers. They're 13 years of age. Let's say should a parent support that, encourage that, or discourage it? Well, that's very harmful. I mean, look, you have kids uh, every day. Maybe they want to be a dinosaur. One day they want to be a Superman. You know, some kids want to identify as, you know. I've often said that on the show. I've always told my father when I was nine, I wanted to be the Hulk. He didn't spray me green and pump me full of steroids. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Well, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm still the same size. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, it's true. You know, every day kids change their mind and kids' um, concepts are not set. So, you know, they're always changing. Sometimes they might want to be a goth. Sometimes they might want to be an emo and, you know, they go through these different phases. But, um, you know, as a parent, it's it's just good to have a conversation with kids. And, you know, just you do have to resist. They cannot go on hormones or puberty blockers. That's going to harm your child for life. But you know, if they generally felt that way their whole life, just, you know, comfort them, speak to them and stuff. And then as an adult, uh, you know, get them some appointments with doctors and consultations and talk about that, you know, uh, very mm. thoroughly. But don't be making any decisions for someone that's a kid because a lot of these kids uh, with gender dysphoria um, do grow out of it into adulthood. So a lot of these cases of gender dysphoria is in the teenage years between 12 to 18. And after that, they grow out of it. So um, there was well, I think, well, I think in, the statistics show if left alone, they tend to grow out of it. But the problem is if they're not right. being left alone and encouraged into it, well, then they're more likely to continue down that path and maybe make a mistake in life, maybe not. Um, in relation, I suppose, finally, 
to, you know, what's going on in the world at the moment. I mean, and uh, this kind of constant, you know, we're talking about it all the time. Do you think it's become a social contagion because children are being now exposed to it on TikTok, on Instagram or whatever it is? Is it now becoming a social contagion? Absolutely. I mean, it's not just some trend or some fad that's just come along. This is a social contagion because you cannot escape it. I mean, we talked earlier about it's like this uh, train that's just going crazy. You know, mm. constantly seems to be getting worse every day. It's just everywhere. And all of these big Fortune 500 companies are actively pushing it. I mean, Lego, Target, we spoke about so many of them earlier. Um, and you have very powerful lobby groups uh, in the US, the Human Rights Campaign, which scores all of these companies with a corporate equality index. So they are really powerful. They have a lot of say. They're pushing all of these investors. A lot of these investors are from BlackRock or Vanguard, so they all have the same investors. So if they decide something, the company kind of has to go along with it. Um, otherwise, they the investors might pull out. So, you know, it is a social contagion because it's everywhere, but we have to also realise that this is being pushed from the very, very top. It's not something that's just come along. This is actively designed. I mean, it's not a coincidence that you have now schools doing this, books for kids, cartoons doing this, all of these brands pushing, you know, Dylan Mulvaney, yeah. Pride Collections. It's not a coincidence. Not They didn't just wake up one day and think, oh, let's be nice, let's support equality. It's an active push to corrupt the minds of children, to damage children and to take away the rights of so many groups, women, parents and children. Well, listen, i got to thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us today. I know it's a bank holiday, so you've given us up your spare time. Uh, and I do really appreciate it. And continued success, by the way, with your campaign. And thank you very much indeed for joining us. Ollie London, thank you. Thank you, a pleasure. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085 100 The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms. 